everyone, and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And I'm joined once again by writer Anne Peer, this time to talk about her new book, Mania Choni, which is a cookbook. Well, I should say it's subtitled My Food, My Italy, which kind of gives an insight into what we're about to discuss. But it's a cookbook and it's so much more. First of all, hello, Anne. Hello, hello. Nice to see you, Alistair. Lovely to see you too. So, Tell us a bit about Mania Choni and why you wanted to write this book. The book um, was born during the final stages of the pandemic. Um, and I, I think uh, to get heavy, I suppose, about it, um, I felt increasingly during the pandemic a need to touch truth and essence and um, I suppose, yeah, a reality in a way. Um, to do, and I, I suppose I felt that for a long time in my life had um, denied that bit of me, that bit of my heritage. Um, European, yes, but I didn't really want to own the Italianism quite so much, actually. I wanted to go beyond that. And that's to do with the era I was born in, I think, as well, you know, that post-war time. Yeah. So um, it was just a kind of gradual awakening to really what is true in me I think that led, led me to write it. Um, there were things like, you know, somebody gave me a bottle of olive oil, which moved me hugely. It came straight from Italy, from a grove. Uh, and those kind of things, those little things meant a lot, as you know, the, the pandemic. Um, there was that. Um, and I, I think the other thing was I wanted to have a joy ride. Um, having had, it was so hard, the pandemic, and I didn't see my daughters because they're in England for you know, Christmas time. So I wanted something that was lighthearted as well. I wanted something that I could really enjoy doing. So I got so much pleasure out of uh, writing writing that book. Um, it, it filed away those last months, you know, really beautifully actually for me. Uh, and part of it also was the, you know, finding that we'll say more about it maybe, but the research into the music was great fun, you know, kind of trying to find um, um, people, musicians from the south of Italy. It's an, I don't think many other cookbook writers, I can't imagine Jamie Oliver starting saying, I was interested in getting to the essence and truth of <laughs> during the pandemic. It's, but it's interesting because there is a lot of philosophy in this book as well. There's a lot of thought, not just about the food, but as you mentioned, the music and wine and other and family and all sorts of other things. Because yeah. it's, I mean, you've already written a, a, a creative memoir, uh, Language of My Choosing. Do you see this as a kind of companion publication? Because memoir is a big part of it. Yeah, I do. Actually, what I, I, with retrospect now, is I look at the three books, you know, Language of My Choosing, Keeping Away the Spiders, and this book, it seems like it's been a journey, actually, maybe a progressive journey, um, to arrive at this destination now, which is saying to people, as I said to, in Italy last year, in Vitipuzzo, I visited in October. I, I'm Italian. That's I can't deny it. I'm I'm stopped trying to be other things. This is me. Take it or leave it. Italian. So it was. Um, you know, the first was a kind of language of my choosing was a kind of just beginning to open up about open up this area. Keeping away the spiders was more about um, trying to find joy in difficult circumstances. So it was about dealing with anxiety and the kind of some of the struggles that we have in life, you know, and trying to make something good of the struggles. And then this one's about saying, finally, I'm there. 
Um, the struggle, in a sense, is over. I've finished struggling. I just want to be who I am, uh, you know, and, and own my heritage, really, which is so precious. So I'm interested in the, how you approach the structure of the book, because you do have this fantastic introduction, very vivid, sets your background, your family's background, uh, but it keeps coming back in in the different ones as well. How did you decide what was going to be memoir and then where a recipe was going to begin? Oh, gosh, that's a difficult one, actually. Um, was it a natural process then? Was it more I natural was. than I think? Am I overthinking it? Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, because I never plan my books, you know, um, I just have a vague idea about, you know, and then I just start writing and then one thing leads to the other. And then an editor comes along and says, well, I think you should organise it this way, maybe organise it a bit better that way, you know, but um, in a sense, I knew that the pasta section was going to be enormous, you know, um, well, you know, south of Italy, I mean, people eat pasta every day, that's just normal in south of Italy. Um, and I knew that the um, the antipasti bit was going to be quite big because I've always, in my own home, made a lot of antipasti, actually. Um, I tend to kind of cook, you know, the Southern Italian way, which is lots of antipasti, lots of appetizers, hot and cold, and then the pasta comes, and maybe two pastas, two different kinds of pasta. So um, I knew about that. And then I had a bit of a difficulty thinking about desserts because I never make desserts. I just no time for them. Um, can't be bothered. I always leave them last and I have no time to finish. Um, and actually, I'm born out because I was reading Marcella Hazan, who I really uh, admire, taught me a lot about Italian cooking. She says that if an Italian housewife cooks one cake or a batch of biscuits a year, that's already more than she, she would, you know. But basically, what the, the normal dessert in Italy is just a bowl of fruit or fruit and wine or something. So that was, that was a rough a rough sketching of it, I think. Um, and then the bit, I just filled in bits and pieces. Um, but what, what I found I was doing actually in writing was um, personalizing the vegetables. <laughs> like um, I talk about the artichokes you know, being a noble, a noble vegetable, you know, um, a slightly aloof vegetable even, you know. Um, I talk about mushrooms, um, you know, being quite, kind of hard, hard to win over, like you've got to coax them to release their goodness, you know. Um, and um, I suppose you could say tomatoes, you know, well, not so much a person, but tomatoes are full of joy and, and brightness and exuberance, you know, on the plate and on your table, you know. So um, I think I've, I've approached a lot of the writing that way, seeing it essentially, if you like, um, but also, personalizing in some some way i mean that gets to one of the hearts in the book is the quality of the, the in, ingredients themselves i mean you can have a wonderfully simple uh tomato salad but the tomatoes have to be top quality or it's just not going to work it's not going to be that plate of sunshine that you're talking about that's right and they've got to be nice and they're like a soft pillow they've got to get they've got to exude fruit uh, exude seeds and juice, you know, uh, so you don't want thick skin tomatoes, you want them nice and soft and, you know, giving of their best, you know. Um, and then when you slice them, the great, the great pleasure in that, and getting lovely, beautifully formed, juicy things that then you can put olive oil on and just enjoy with bread, you know. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's right, it's got to be good quality. I mean, the other thing I would say is that 
And again, I have this from, I think it's Anna Del Ponte actually, um, that Italians like to, they only like to eat what they see growing, yeah. which takes us, to, I think it's very interesting actually. Now, I think we're talking about Italians of the South because there's a huge, I mean, I, I make that distinction throughout the book, really. There's a huge difference. There's no one country. Italy's not one country. There's not one cuisine. There's not one language. There's all these dialects and so on. Um, but in the South, Italians delight in seeing what's growing in the ground. That's, I've got pals on Facebook that put pictures up of what they've just brought out the ground and what they're going to do with it, you know. And then you see the finished product when they've worked with it and produced, I don't know, uh, I don't know, figs or something, uh, you know, um, or, or a, a, I suppose, a pasta with a lovely sauce on it. Um, so I think the thing, and that takes you to, for me, it takes you to what, what we're all, in a sense, thinking about now, which is, um, you know, seasonal produce and simple produce um, um, and, and more vegetarian, vegan produce as well. And the book is essentially, as you know, Alistair, vegetarian. Yeah. And a lot of recipes are vegan, actually. I think there's only two. There's one fish recipe and one meat recipe in it. Um, so one of my favourites is one of your meat recipes, but I'll talk about that. <laughs> that says more about me than the book. Um, I, I, and I loved your description of the artichokes in particular, because as someone who's cooked with them, they, they, they're not easy to handle from scratch. You know, they take a lot of work to get to their wonderful heart. They do. I'd like that idea that, you know, they're not going to give up their secrets easily. You have no. to work with them to get there. So there is lots of kind of personality through it. And then, and of course, there's your own personality as well. And I guess my earlier question was, I was thinking, was this always going to be a cookbook as well as a memoir? Or was it ever going to be one or the other? Were you always going to combine the two? I never thought of it that way. I just want to write what I write. Basically, what I wanted to do really was to put Italy on the page. Yeah. So yeah. I've tried to evoke Italy um, in my writing. I've tried to evoke what it feels like, what a Sunday feels like in Italy when you're away in the mountains, the Apennine Mountains, you know, um, what it feels like at five o'clock in Italy, in, in Bari or Rome, what that actually, or what it feels like, you know, in Puglia uh, after lunch or during lunch, you know, that kind of, Topper, that kind of silence that descends on a village or on a town and you know that everybody is right around the table or falling asleep having their siesta you know <laughs> and you don't see anybody in the streets you know and um, I wanted to bring that to the book really in in the best way I could and that wonderful and the Laura dell'antipasto is a huge thing in Italy you know that five o'clock thing when everybody surges into bars and has, you know, their, their um, uh, the Loro aperitivo rather, and has their aperitivo, you know, their um, Aperol spritz or whatever it is. And that sense of business being over and people enjoying one another's company before they go home to a good dinner. I, I wanted to get all that down. So that, that was the plan, really. And you've got some lovely pictures in the book as well, not, not just of your family, but some quite evocative pictures that could really be nowhere else but Italy. Yes, that's right. I mean, I took I took those. Uh, I had a couple of years of just uh, snapping things that I like the look of. Um, I wasn't allowed to put food in. That's um, really interesting. That's a really yeah. interesting point. Uh, and you know what? Having read the book, 
I didn't even notice that there was none in there. You know, I think you don't need it. I think the recipe is absolute. In fact, I think with some cookbooks, often they become a coffee table photograph book. So they're not there to be used and cooked with. And what I love about this book is it's there to be cooked with. You know, it's there to be opened at your table with a broken spine at your favourite recipe. That'll that kind of thing. <laughs> That's great. That's super. Um, uh, so what is your relationship with food? We're beginning to hear just what it means, but through, throughout your life, what's it been like? Um, I, I think I uh, eventually, about halfway through, you know, about when I was in my 50s, maybe, I'm not halfway through, but in my 50s, maybe, um, I kind of developed a healthier relationship with food than I'd had. And that was to do with, I suppose, life stresses and all of that, you know, like overeating, not eating enough, blah, blah, you know. Um, so, but I've always uh, enjoyed entertaining and feeding people. I'm a feeder, the girls, my, my girls all say, I'm a feeder, you're a feeder mum, you know. Um, I, I love having people in my home. I try to make the, my home smell of nice, good things to eat. Um, uh, I mean, there's basil on my, you know, behind me here, and I can smell it as I speak to you. Um, so, I, I and I also, um, enjoy well cooked food. I, I I I'm very impatient with fine dining. Right. I I really you know I find it's not a chemistry experiment. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know with foams and things. And I mean I, I you know maybe this is heresy, and I, I have eaten. I do eat in fine dining restaurants. Maybe other people's behest really, um, but I, what I prefer is just good, good healthy food that satisfies. Mm -hmm my taste buds, my eyes, and my tummy. You know, that's really all I want, actually. It's it's all about bonding and being together. And another thing I, I suppose I get annoyed with, the ways I'm impatient with, is a set plate. I hate a set plate, you know. Right. I like to see food in the middle of the table. And if I can use my hands, I will, you know. So I'm a bit earthy about these things, actually, you know. Um, but I, I think that's the essence of of of, of healthy living and um, of enjoyment. Actually, um, if you're using your hands and passing things around, it's it's a communal thing. It's a sense of community about all of that, um, and it breaks down barriers as well. I like to tear my bread. Um, I probably embarrass people I'm eating with sometimes. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I mean for, I agree with you completely, and I feel that uh, it should be an interactive. Uh, you know, part of things, and particularly if, um, you know, it's having people around or having family or whatever that is, that should be a big part of it. And I think it's something we'll maybe talk more later about the difference between food in Italy and other parts of Europe and in the UK, which I think is changing. But, you know, in the past, it would just be a plate and you might even sit and eat it in silence. And that would be <laughs> kind of my experience of growing up. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you, is the the uh, culture you've described in Italy, and particularly southern Italy, is that still thriving today? Because I know the way that we perhaps eat in this country has changed quite a bit. The idea of even sitting down for a meal is almost uh, a rarity. Is it still thriving in Italy? I would say absolutely. Um, it's very much um, a family time. A Sunday, particularly, is a is a family time. People get together. Um, there's a real sense of people, yeah, sitting and enjoying a meal, and the meal being 
I suppose the table being the focal point of the home, actually, the table, the kitchen, all of it, it all happens there. Um, I still see that, um, I mean, even last year. Um, and, uh, you know, things like I was in a, staying in a, I was in Fidiguzo, uh, staying in the hotel that's there, L'Aquilone, and Asunta, who's, you know, getting on a bit now, but she's got a reputation for being a good cook. People kept dropping in because they could smell what she was, what she was cooking. You know, people say, oh, what are you cooking tonight, Asunta? You know, and well, I've got for guests, you know, so, oh, let me have a wee taste of that and so on. Um, so, I, yeah, it's it's very much a thing still, eating and enjoying being with other people, family, friends, all of that. Um, and myself, I mean, when my girls are coming home, I start cooking three days before sometimes, actually, you know, or I'm planning a week ahead, I'm thinking about it all. And it's, it's I, I love doing that, you know, um, and they, they know it. They know, they're not going to get some kind of feast when they come home. And, and that goes back to, you know, the decision to write this book beginning in lockdown, where to have that kind of taken away, that kind of yeah. communionship and companionship that, you know, that uh, people thrive upon, you know, yeah. was an yeah. awful, awful thing. And I think we're still not kind of come to terms with what that did for people. That's right. That's true. The other thing I would say, though, I don't want you to get the impression that it's all roses around the table because... I mean, there might be family scenes in the middle of that. Somebody might get up, throw their fork down and walk out, you know, and five minutes later, they'll come back in calmed or somebody will go and get them and tell them to come back. You know, so there's a, a lot of things are enacted at the table as well. Um, the family dramas, you know, the, tr the home truths, you know, and then the love as well and the laughter, lots of laughter. I think, it's, who has it said that life is a serious matter to be taken in a light-hearted way? Somebody said that. and. I think the Italians do that so well. They have a great sense of, um, you know, the hardships of life, particularly in the South, and particularly now post-pandemic, actually, where I think there is quite a lot, much more hardship than there, there was even. Um, but but they, they, they do it, they, they, that's there, but they're always quick to have a laugh to be with friends and just be lighthearted and and to enjoy and just enjoy a meal or whatever it is or or sing enjoy music you know the the great people for singing there's music all over the south of Italy actually so that's very much I think part of the the south that that both the serious side and the lightheartedness just to kind of in a sense to ease the serious side to cope yeah. with it you know and you have conversation which is key to all of us you know. The, the, that's what you get around the table. As you say, the conversations may get heated at times, okay. but at least we're having them, which is a really a, a, important thing. And you've mentioned music uh, there, and music's a key part of the book too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, what I wanted to do was um, highlight the musicians from of several genres, you know, all genres really, um, and through different eras, um, musicians that were either sang in dialect, which is really important. There's quite a few songs on the on the playlist which are in Sardinian, in Sicilian, um, and in my dialect, Laziale, for instance, you know, the Viticosa dialect. Um, so either sang in that, or then were born in Naples or born in Rome or wherever. Um, and I've, I've got opera singers, I've got um, I've got really singer-songwriter Giovanotti, he's very famous today, young man, great singer-songwriter. Um, another bit I, want, I wanted to find was, I don't know any other country that writes songs about food, but Italy does. So 
there's a wonderful track about a woman get, she's being courted in that old-fashioned way and all she wants to do is have pizza wherever she goes you know with the tomato on it um, and then he marries her and on her wedding day she rejects what's presented and demands pizza that's all she wants you know and um, there's another track about bread um, uh, so I think these these are like, I don't know other country that does that actually writes about sings about food. Do you? I I'm trying to think of a Scottish one, and the only thing I could come up with, and this sums up so many things, is cod liver oil in the orange juice, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is all oh, about oh, your oh, hangovers. <laughs> oh, it's oh, horrible! Oh, I know. Horrible. So, um, yeah, that maybe sums up the two countries perfectly. <laughs> Um, and I was really, as someone who's cooked for a large part of their working life myself, I was really interested in the simplicity of your kitchen setup and utensils, because I agree with that too. You don't need a whole range of knives. You need you know, a couple of good sharp knives. You need, you know, I, just simple utensils that you can do, you know, use the rolling pin to smash your garlic or do your heel of your hand or whatever it might be. And that's, I think, it gets into the real kind of, Again, relationship with the physicality of cooking. Well, I I, um, I don't know if I've uh, said this to you before, but um, I have volunteered for about 15 years actually now uh, as a cook on Holy Isle, um, which is a Buddhist centre for world peace. Um, and um, that's a, that kitchen is is very simple. You know, you know, it has to be. Uh, we even wash all the dishes. There's no dishwasher or anything like that. But all, I mean, there's things, there's a food process, I've got a food process, but all very simple. Um, and it's all just about the hard graft. But there was one guy I was working with there, I can't remember his name, and he said to me, and he said, you've got to get down and dirty with your food, you have to get your hands in it, you know, and that really stuck, you know, stuck with me, actually. And that's what we do. I mean, you know, I separate eggs with my fingers, you know, um, I, and I smash my garlic right enough with the heel of my hand. And I often laugh at the kind of fancy gadgets I see in some kitchens, that doesn't make you a better cook. No, no, no. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, 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 I mean, you don't, just because you've paid 2,000 pounds for a, a gadget coffee machine, doesn't give you good coffee unless you're brewing it correctly and you've got good coffee to start with, you know. It's a little coffee pot that sits on the... That's what I've got, exactly that, a mocha coffee machine, yeah, yeah. And... It's, it's throughout the book that getting your hands in there, for instance, there are some recipes that a lot of people would think, well, I can just get that now from the shop. You know, I'm thinking of making your own pesto, making your own focaccia, which is a tricky business. It's not the easiest right. thing to do. Uh, and, and other breads as well. You've got recipes for all of these things, but there's nothing more satisfying, I find, than if you take out a loaf of bread that you've baked yourself and, wow, there's nothing like it. No, and the smell of it in your kitchen, oh, yeah. you know, and the smell of it as it's proving is wonderful as well, that sense of yeast and so on. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had never baked before, actually, uh, until it was, and there wasn't much of a tradition of it, actually, in my own home. Um, but I, until the until the pandemic, and I learned to make focaccia, and I mean, it's been my staple ever since. I mean, I turned it out whenever people come. Um, and recently, piadini as well, you know, those lovely flatbreads. Um, yeah. And pizza, actually, I've learned to make pizza. So that's great fun. Um, and I mean, some of the pizzas that you, I mean, these takeaway horrific things that you get, you know, I mean, all you need is a lovely piece of dough, 
some lovely, excellent tomatoes, olive oil and garlic. That's it. That's the way my grandmother did it. Not even any cheese, you know, that's it. And, pizza. and pizza dough actually is a, is a pretty simple recipe, it's, but it's about giving it the time and taking the care. And time and care are things which I think, you know, uh, are really important to the kind of cooking that's in this book anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sometimes not though too, Alistair. Like, I mean, I'm think. I mean, throughout, I, I mean, I had a pretty busy career, um, and I worked, uh, as I think I said to you, in the Majesty's Inspector ultimately, which meant I was away from home, you know, for three or four nights sometimes. Um, so, but even even throughout that, apart from the times I wasn't at home, latterly, um, even throughout all of that, bringing up three kids, busy senior leader uh, in in education. Um, I always cooked from fresh, always, always. There's never been a takeaway um, under my watch in my home, actually. Um, when I went out, I'm sure they got in their Chinese carryouts, but when I was when I was there, there was nothing like that. And I used to spend every Sunday, I'd go for my run, my six mile run, I'd come in, I'd spend the rest of the day cooking for the week, putting things away in the freezer. Um, and I did that with all my kids as well from very young when they were babies and so on. I didn't buy jars of food. I cooked the food and recognised it and so on. So. And that goes to being brought up in a household where you learn those skills. Because I think one of the problems, again, and I don't wish to generalise, but in the UK was that a lot of people don't get taught those skills. You know, being brought up in the 70s and then the 80s, it was very much a time of what's convenient. You get oven chips, you get, you know, burgers yeah. uh, yeah. which are frozen and all of those things. And were seen as a real boost at the time. They were, that's the way they were sold. But it means you've got people that don't know how to make a pesto from the, the herbs that they've maybe got lying about or something. But, like that. That's true. That's true. Very much so. But it's actually, I mean, it's such a simple thing to making a, a pesto or, or, you know, or, or as you say, even a, even a pizza, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose post-war, um, we did have a very simple uh, diet in the house. Uh, my grandmother cooked a lot, um, but very simple food minestrone. Um, she would make pastina in brodo. She would roast a chicken. But it wasn't it wasn't terribly varied the diet, but she, she just simple things, you know. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, that although this is about Italy, and you're saying you know that's who you are, you know that that's your identity now. The book itself is kind of more international. You know, you talk about the importance of Spanish food uh, in, in your food, and and. Some of the ingredients that are in the book, which I found interesting, are native to Scotland. You've already said about artichokes. You've got um, haddock. You've got cauliflower. Um, yeah. You've got a frittata that's cabbage, onion, and potato, which I think is one that you made on the Holy Isle. Yes. I mean, that would be a Scottish frittata, couldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. Was that deliberate, or was that just does that just show how most nations' cuisines are adaptable and and you know. I think, so. I think that's right, and I mean, you, 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 yeah, you, you, you use what is available actually in a country, don't you? So, um, you know, so obviously, an Italian family living here would maybe not get or something. I don't know. You know, they would get maybe peppers in the fifties or something else, but they would. You'd go to the my grandma would go to the greengrocer and buy what there is, uh, and then bring it home and do something with that. You know, and that's what we do. Um, I mean, I, even when you go shopping, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but, you know, I, I, often I don't have an idea. I just go 
and I think, well, what do I fancy? What do I like the look of? Um, what looks good, you know? And then, and I bring it home and do something with it. I mean, you know, something very simple, maybe. Um, yeah. My favourite one is at the moment is um, I don't know if I put the recipe in, but fried fried gnocchi. I've been doing that for years actually, and I see that's a thing. Fried gnocchi is a thing. Uh, I didn't start the trend, <laughs> uh, but fried gnocchi was um, done in with some pancetta and um, some spinach added. Makes a fabulous, uh, very well balanced meal. It's a kind of stir fry, really easy, you know. It doesn't I, was cost quite, I was going to ask you how you shop, but you've kind of just told us that really. You go and. And see what I, I'm the same. I would go to a, a, my local deli or whatever, where they're really their fruit and veg. They won't just have it in because they can, like a supermarket. They will have what's seasonal and what's. And if if it's not good, they won't have it in, which is quite rare these days. I think. Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and it's better that way. I mean, it, as as you say, you know, you know, in supermarkets, I mean, things are kept for longer than they should be kept. Um, you can feel the cold air as you go through the vegetable section while they're trying to keep the vegetables fresh, you know. Um, so you're actually better to go to a small supplier. Uh, I've got a lovely, there's a lovely wee shop not far from here um, where they get all the lovely Italian vegetables. Actually, they come in fresh um, and I buy all my tomatoes there and all my garlic there. Again, it's hard to get good garlic. You know, I'm looking for something that's purple or pink and fat not that horrible kind of mealy mouth garlic that you get in supermarkets, you know. You yeah. almost dry by the time you get it. There's That's no right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, and it's still difficult for a lot of people to find that, you know, it's it's some places that were lucky enough that there are shops like that, south side of Glasgow where I am as well, is, is similarly well uh, uh, served, but some places it's just really difficult. True, I mean, I think, I think the issue really is about maybe for people it's, I mean, it is, I think it's still more expensive to buy the kind of food we're talking about that's fresh and seasonal and so on. Um, it's wrong that it should be like that. Um, maybe there's a move, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. There's maybe more of a move now to be able to give people something that's local and not so expensive. But, you know, that sense of organic food being dearer is maybe off-putting for some people, actually, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. On the other hand, on the other hand, you know, buying a pack of lentils gets you a long way yeah. and it costs, what, pennies, really. I mean, buying, a, you know, a couple of tins of beans, again, get you a long way, there's your protein. And going back to the book itself, there are lots of fantastic recipes, as you say, often vegan or vegetarian, which are budget-friendly too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. Hopefully that's true. La cucina di terra is the thing. La cucina di terra, la cucina povera. Uh, La Cucina Povera is the basis of the book, and it's really about making a lot, making feasts of leftovers, making feasts of stuff that is very easy to come by, actually. And, and two or three ingredients, you know, you don't need to overcomplicate things. I think Anna Del Conte again says, leave the clams alone, you know, just let them be who they are, you know, don't keep throwing things at them, you know. That's certainly something I was taught by one of the first chefs I worked for was, you know, let they don't hide the ingredients. The ingredients are there to be the star of the show. You don't need to, you know, cover yeah. the home or whatever it, it, it might it might be. And my favourite recipe, to go back to that, is the beef sugo, which is using uh, beef shin, shin uh, which again is a cheaper cut, but yeah. 
slow, cook it long, and you get this wonderful result from it because you've got it on the bone as well. That's right. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. And it's just, you cook it to, and then in the, in the sugo, and then there's a, there's a bit where I, I always look for the point where the sugo turns colour. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's then where it's, it's ready, you know, and you let it just serve for a bit longer. And then the rim of it, it, you know, they get the kind of stuff around the top of your pan, which yeah. is delicious with a bit of bread, actually. Just yeah. for being, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that some people don't realise if they're not used to cooking is the, the chefs themselves, the cooks, get sometimes the best bits. They get the, the end bits of something, or the, the, the tastiest bits that, you know. Absolutely, that's you true. Know. Or fresh taste, yes. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think <laughs> um, that all the recipes are recipes to me that really are, demanding to be cooked you know they really are ones that uh you can tell they've been written by someone who not just understands food but loves food as well mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. that, that, that comes across and also then i think we talked about this before we started recording but apologies if it was wet afterwards but the importance of the simple things i don't mean simple but the everyday, the, the pasta itself, you know, not just the sauce that goes with it, but the pasta itself. You've got a large section on pasta, as you say, but also stocks and, you know, the, of making a good stock, the importance of the yep. basics being yep. the best quality they can be, because that makes the rest taste good. I think, I get, uh, yes, absolutely. So it's, yeah, that's, uh, in fact, I mean, I, I suppose I've learned to make stock over the years from scratch from my work in Holy Isle, actually, you know, where all the off, all the bits that you would normally throw away, you just wash and then use them to make, say, a vegetable stock and so on. Um, the point I wanted to make very strongly in the, and I did it in lines of my choosing, but I come back to Magnachoni, is this business of, well, I just had pasta last night. No, pasta is the, is the queen of foods, you know, it's a glorious thing. It's soft, it's, you know, it's, it's redolent, it's, it's aromatic, it's, 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 it's your heritage, it's a beautiful thing. And, and the things like, you know, what did you put in your pasta? Well, I just threw some, whatever it is. You know, no, you know, every pasta has a destination, has a function, it has a, it has a mate, if you like, has a, yeah. you know. Every pasta has a meat. And, and so it, you can't just take um, one bit of pasta and throw some artichokes at it. You can't take orichetti and throw mushrooms at it. They, they, that, that doesn't work, you know. Orichetti has to have a tomato sauce. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a pesto even, but certainly not. You know, so I think that's really important. Yeah, I think so don't, don't think uh, that there's a reason why pastas are different shapes and styles and Wigs and you know there are this isn't just random people making them up like they might make up sweets in a packet there's a reason that they're all these these different shapes and yet the, the, the section on pasta is wonderful in in that way i want to say too i think the other another part i'd like to make this is that i'm not you know in a sense um totally well, I am very focused on Italian food, obviously, and I cook it all the time. But I do love other cuisines. Yeah, yeah. I really adore um, Vietnamese food. I love Lebanese food. I, you know, I love all the breads and the, the medzi and the hummus and all of that, fava, beans. And um, I love Spanish cuisine as well, you know, all of these things. And French cuisine, to some extent, although I find it a bit overworked now, actually, given, you know, my kind of direction, direction I've taken. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a lover of all, all foods, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the, uh, it's interesting because I was trained in, in French cooking when I, when I was at college and there still is a lot of butter and a lot of cream and a lot, you know, yeah. people ask me, well, how come your mashed potatoes are so good? said, because you don't want to know how much butter's going through. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's, <another> right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And so we should mention that uh, the book is going to have a few launches as well. Uh, you and I are going to be at Valona and Corolla on the 5th of September, uh, but you've got a Glasgow one as well, is that correct? A Glasgow one in Eusebi Delhi on Monday the 18th of September at four o'clock. Um, be a glass of wine and uh, some readings and Giovanna's very kindly, um, Cavaliere Giovanna now actually, she's got a, the equivalent of a knighthood now, which is fantastic for all her services to, to, to Italy uh, and food. Um, so she's going to, she's hosting that for us, which would be lovely. Um, and booking is through Eusebi Delhi, not, not, through, not through the publisher today. And there will also be books for sale then. And um, we're looking at another date. The Edinburgh Bookshop are keen to host a second launch because the first one sold out quite quickly. So that will be in November. We don't have a date yet for that. Um, well, when you do, let me know, and I will. Uh, I'll certainly let people know. And the book's fantastic. You know that I, I've spoken to you about that before. I really think if anyone's interested, not just in the food, but also in your story as well. There's a well. Is it a cookbook? Is it a memoir? It's both. So it sits in the memoir section and it sits in the cookbook section. They've, they've got two for the price of one, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's Watterson's problem. It's not mine, you know. <laughs> exactly. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, but it's really been lovely to talk about this book in particular and food in general. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed talking to a fellow foodie as well, actually. It's been a real pleasure. I will okay. see you on the 5th of September. Super. Okay, look forward to that, Alistair. Thank you for your time. Thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. And we will be back soon with someone completely different. Mm -hmm.